The following podcast uses words that lawyers don't use in court, even though they're thinking them. Hello and welcome to episode 324 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Today on the show, we talked about what? What did we talk about? Well, let's let's get into some good old-fashioned bullshitting before we get to the show, Ben. People have been telling us that they need some more good old-fashioned bullshitting at the top of the show, including your wife, Maria. (laughs) (laughs) Said, hey, why don't you nerds talk about other stuff sometimes? Okay, sure. I've seen four movies, Ben, since the last time I talked to you. Four movies in the theater. Four. In the theater. Wow. What did you see? In the theater. I saw yeah. and I enjoyed all but well the first one. I saw that Matt Damon Ben Affleck thing, the last duel. Oh, okay. Eh. Oh. It's like a historical something. Yeah. Right? Definitely don't need to see that. It's okay. fine. Whatever. If you like big Hollywood movies, mm-hmm. you could go see that. No, I don't whatever. Um the ones that I really liked, I saw a movie called The Rescue. Do you know what the rescue is okay. about? Mm-mm. No, what's it about? The rescue is about. Remember when those uh, the kids, the Thai kids, got stuck in the cave in Thailand mm, with their coach? This is a soccer team or something. Thai soccer team got caught in the yeah. cave, and then these badasses had to go cave dive them out. Wow! Wow! Pretty incredible. Pretty pretty good. I like a documentary from time to time, and uh, I can okay. definitely recommend the rescue. Uh, okay. Jimmy Chin made that movie. He it's a National Geographic movie, but he does a bunch of those climbing movies, mm. uh, Free Solo and Don Wall and some other stuff that you probably saw. Uh, so that was a good um, real life thriller. I also saw the new Wes Anderson movie. It's called The French Dispatch. I okay. was delighted, but I love Wes Anderson. So um, if you like Wes Anderson movies, uh, you will love The French Dispatch. And okay. I just last night saw the new Dune movie, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, it was cool. It was like, a, I liked it because it was like not Marvel and also not, Marvel. not Star Wars. Right. It's like, which I oh, love Star I agree. Wars, but I, and I Marvel and just kind of over, but this was, it's like a whole brand new, big intellectual property. You know, it's a whole big new world fantasy slash sci-fi world. Special effects were badass. Cast's pretty good. Game of Thrones style, it introduced some main characters and immediately killed them off. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dune. So Maria, Maria and I saw that on HBO Max. Oh, you saw it? And we were, yeah, we were intending to treat it like a show. So we we're going to watch like 30, 45 Can't minutes. Can't do it, dude. Oh, oh, I see. Couldn't? You were going to watch a little bit. Yes. I see. You were going to do the opposite of what I would have recommended. But yes, go ahead. We were going to do that. And so we started it late. It was like 8.30, but 9 o'clock. got right? into it Regular. and watched the whole thing. Yeah, we got into it. Nice. <laughs> and we were keeping uh, kids up. So <laughs> we're like, oh, sorry. We can't We can't stop watching this. I, I thought it was, yeah, it was good enough to keep us going. Um, it's only part one. Of course, there's going to be part two. But yeah, I, I did. I kind of had that feeling. I felt like it was a more mature like Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, right, it, like it's got those elements, but it, it didn't. It felt like it was, it was like targeting like a, a little more sophisticated of an audience. Takes itself than, super seriously. It does not have cheesy mm-hmm. jokes in it and stuff. Mm-hmm. It is inviting yeah. you to learn the lore of this whole world, you know, the yep. whole politics and everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, that's cool. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you liked it. All right, I'll check out the rescue though. Yeah, sounds good. That's our bullshitting segment of the show. 
what we talked about. We had a, this was a good episode. We had a lot of good shit. We did. Um, what do we have? We had someone who asked about flow and how you can achieve it on the test. And if that's even a thing, yeah. um, we had someone who got a one sixty seven, but I think we suggested that they go even further. Yeah. It was meant as like a success story, but of course we're like, Hey, why don't you get greedy and get a few more points? We end up doing that okay. a lot. Yep. We had, uh, some, a quote from a law school admissions director who wants people to over explain rather than under explain when they're applying. Yeah. We talk about, and let's just go ahead and get to the punchline right now, which is stop listening to law school admissions folks, um, for advice about how to be a better law school applicant. They're, they're just not, their, their incentives are not aligned with yours. They have, they have no incentive to make you into a better applicant. So (laughs) the majority of the advice that we see from these folks, you know, they might have the best of intentions, but they're not giving you advice that actually makes you a more competitive applicant. Yeah. They'd be negotiating against themselves if they did. So they don't. So most of the advice that we see from people who work at actual law schools is bad. Yep. Okay. Then we got Adam who was tempted or is tempted to apply to schools now to see what offers he can get with his 3.98 GPA and 167. But we're like, okay, think again. Oh, another Um, guy. It's just so tragic that he's about to sell himself short. Oh, I'll just see what I, I'll just apply late now. I'll apply now and see what I, see what I get. See what I get. I know I'm going to apply next semester, but, or next round, but. (laughs) Tragic, tragic where if he gets a good offer and takes it, it might be the worst thing that ever happened to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, nah, I don't want to play in the big leagues. I'll just settle for this minor league. Don't do that. Don't do that. We also looked at an accelerated program that someone wrote in about. An accelerated program, at least in this case, was two and a half years. Um, we talked about that and why it might not be a good idea. And then finally, we have a personal statement from David who did start really strong um, and had a, a solid statement, but could definitely uh, improve it. Yep. So Cool. Um, let me see here. This is going to air on Monday, November 15th. Uh, the January LSAT registration deadline is coming up on December 3rd, so in a, a few weeks here after Thanksgiving. Um, if you have not, already signed up for Demon Free and joined Nathan's study group, I would strongly encourage you to do that. He meets every Thursday with how many people? Uh, it depends. It goes up and down. Sometimes it's yeah. like in the hundreds. Some, lately, it's been more like 50, 60 people. Yeah. But every Thursday, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that sounds probably sounds like a lot of people, um, but it's a good thing because it means that we get lots of questions. Uh, you can ask any question you want. Just uh, show up and... Talk to me. Look, look forward to that every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, it sounds like a fun, fun session. It's for an hour, right? Yeah. Um, yep. Okay. And uh, the course, the one that's going now is getting people ready for the November test, but that's going to change next week, actually, right? Yep. It will be um, after when you when you hear this, it'll be shooting for the November LSAT. The Anyways, December. Oh, sorry, it'll be shooting for the January LSAT. What did I say? You I don't said even know November. what I said. 
Oh well, it is, but it, but at this point, yeah. Right. By the time you hear this, it'll be shooting. Right. We, we will convert to the January 2021 LSAT, and you don't have to. By the way, you don't have to be signed up for the January 2021 LSAT. Um, in fact, it would be a good idea to come and talk to me, and I can help you decide whether to register for the January LSAT. The deadline for that again is December 3rd, and so we have uh, the next few weeks to kind of decide whether we want to register for the January test. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Let's jump in. Let's jump into this email from David. Sure thing. Uh, It says, Hey, Ben and Nathan, I'm a demon basic subscriber, avid podcast listener, and overall fan of your approach to the LSAT. Your drilling tool has been invaluable to me during my study. That's the uh, place in LSATdemon.com where you just, hit drill and do one question at a time. Cool. I'm writing the November test on Friday. David sounds Canadian. Yep. I took the October test and scored 166. I'm retaking because my practice tests were in the low 170s. Sounds like a good plan so far. If your practice tests are in the low 170s, you absolutely shouldn't settle for an official score of anything less than 170. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, do you guys enter a flow state while writing the test, you know, where time seems to pass instantly and you're so immersed in the material that it's almost as if someone else is taking the test. In other words, does the test complete itself for you guys? Does it flow easily and enjoyably? As I said, I'm scoring in the low 170s on my practice tests and I am fighting for every single point. I'm just wondering if that's your experience, and if so, do you have advice on entering the flow state? Keep it up. Your service has been awesome for me, David. What do you think, Ben? Are you in flow when you do the official <laughs> LSAT? Well, this is this is definitely a popular term. I hear it all the time. People talking about flow. Um, I'm even reading a book right now that happened to mention it. I I don't know for sure if. I'm in a flow state, but I would say probably so during most of the questions. And I think that stems from zeroing in on each sentence and trying to understand it. When I'm really understanding it, then I'm 100% focused on what that sentence is saying and thinking about that, which means other things fade away, right? Like I'm not thinking about the time. I'm not thinking about how many questions I have left. I'm purely thinking about hey, what's this person saying? What's this usually idiot saying? And what do I think of what they're saying? And when I'm 100% focused on that, I would imagine that's what most people define as flow because you're not being, you know, pulled in any other direction. Yeah, I'm definitely doing one question at a time. If I'm on question number seven, I am not still thinking about questions one, two, three, four, five, or six. Yep. And I'm not thinking about number eight or, God forbid, number 18 or, you know, number 25. Yeah. Um, Yep. I am ruthlessly just solving every question. I, you know, if we take David at his word here, I am fighting for every single point. That's definitely not how it feels to me. Yeah, that almost seems like 
David is fighting against flow because you're you're thinking about all the points you can get in the section as opposed to the job that you have right now. I think the definition of flow is that time fades away precisely because you're so immersed in whatever you have to do or in hopefully want to do in that moment. Yeah, I, you know, it's, um, I grew up in the Central Valley of Northern California, which is like perfect climate for growing oranges. My family, um, my uncle and always had like these big orange trees in his backyard and around Christmas time is when you harvest oranges and, Hmm. um, it's like bountiful. Okay. It's like Hmm. ridiculous. The amount of oranges that you're going to get off of one tree is just absurd. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really, you know, the, how do you harvest oranges? Well, the way you harvest oranges is you take like a paper grocery bag, like a full on big grocery bag, and you mm. go out there and you just walk around the bottom of the tree. There's so many oranges that it's just like heavy, like ha- the branches are just hanging down on almost touching the ground. Hmm. And you just go pick these gigantic, beautiful, they're like as big as your head almost, hmm. oranges off the tree. And you just, one at a time, fill up your bag. Yeah. And it's like, it's easy because they're plentiful. And you definitely have to pick one at a time, but that bag is full before you know it. And then you just keep going. Uh, it it doesn't feel like fighting for every single orange. Rather, it feels like, oh shit, <laughs> this there's too, there's too many. There's so many oranges. All I got to do is just kind of do the thing. I don't know if I'm making any sense at all. Well, I think okay. <laughs> Where is Nathan going with his oranges analogy? But I think I think what you're trying to say and. I could feel the difference here maybe is imagine someone going into that field uh, feeling like they have to get a certain number of oranges uh, within a certain amount of time. Yeah. And you're, you're always kind of looking to the next orange and like which tree has the most oranges hanging low as opposed to just like, Oh, there's an orange, grab it, put it in the bag. Okay. What's the next orange? Let me complete Um, my, yeah, to complete my analogy, it's like, well, the thing that I don't do and I don't even worry about doing is getting out the extension ladder to prop it up against the side of the tree to go 40 feet up in the air. There's lots Mm -hmm. of oranges up there too, Mm -hmm. but I don't even need those ones. Like all I need is the easy ones. Yeah. Like you're, you're going to (laughs) have you it like, so trying to harvest every single orange off of the tree is a mistake. Rather, what you should do is just fill up bag after bag after bag after bag of the ones that are easy. So when yeah. I'm doing the LSAT, like I'm not perfect. I, I The other night in class, I think I missed like two in, in one class. I think I missed two questions. Yeah. Which is embarrassing. And, you know, like I try not to miss questions, but <laughs> I, I don't have to get them all because there's so, so many that are so, so easy. And so that's my experience of the test is that I'm just going through one question at a time and I'm going to get the vast majority of them 
without worrying about whether I get every single one of them. Yeah. So I'm That's not, not to say you're skipping or anything. No, no, no. It's not like you're looking for the easiest questions. Nope. You're just doing the one you're on and then you go to the next one. Yep. And you just pick that and fruit. Some of them are harder than others. And I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, like if I pull on it and it doesn't come off of the tree, okay, I'm not, that doesn't mean I'm going to like let go of that one. And I, like, I have my hands on it. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So I, one of them, um, that one I might have to wrestle off. Yeah. But I'm going to eventually wrestle it off and put it into my bag. And the thing is, I'm not like, if I drop one, okay, that's okay to drop one. And if I don't finish if i don't harvest the entire tree then that's okay too i'm gonna get like there are so many easy ones i mean that's the thing i think that i really want people to understand is that let's say a typical section of logical reasoning there's 25 questions in the section 23 of those questions are easy mm -hmm. now you can't tell on the surface which ones are easy and which ones are hard the harder ones do tend to come at the end of the section, though. So if you just calmly, carefully get one at a time mm -hmm. and it's like it's like just steadily filling up your basket. Yeah. Is that flow? Probably because once I get into it, then it's, it, yeah, like I, my experience is that I'm playing a fun, easy game with like tons and tons of points available. Yeah. I think the antithesis of flow is being outside of what you're doing, like somewhat being disconnected. You're going through the rules, but you're also stepping back and thinking about, okay, well, I have three more games in this right. section. Um, Things like, you know, does this game seem hard? Maybe I should skip it and do the next game. That's where you're not. And I do. I know that you're not. Oh, yeah. Flow. Or even worse. This is this. I really have to do well on this test today because this is the this is going to determine where I go to school and how much I pay to go there. And the else. Yeah, this is such an important test. Like yeah. none of that. I'm not thinking about any of that shit. Nope, that's just uh, external stuff. The definition of flow is you lose a sense of time because you are so in, enmeshed in what you're doing. So yeah, um, how do you get there? I think you tackle one question at a time, like you're saying in your orange analogy. And you just, I, I always think of it as, you know, we talk about this test as having three sections, or I guess now four because of the experimental section. And you could think of the test as three mini tests or four mini tests. But I like to think of it as, in logical reasoning, as 25 mini tests. It's like, okay, I'm here, test one. Question one is my first test, and I'm going to dive into that. Then once I'm done with that test, I'm going to go to the next test. This is where I think when people say like, oh, you know, <laughs> I've been drilling, and now I'm doing a section, and I, I can't go as fast or I can't, it's like you're thinking about the section as an entity to be tackled rather than just the question in front of you, just like drilling. It really shouldn't be any different. You're just drilling through questions in order. <laughs> yeah. One question at a time and they should feel easy if you're doing it right. I mean, that's the yep. one, I, I just got to get that point across to people. That's the one thing that transforms people's score more than anything else 
is this acceptance of the reality that these questions make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. It's not tricky. They're not, it's not like tricks and traps and what it's, they want you to get the right answer. Yeah. If you read it carefully and solve the damn puzzle and every one of them is solvable on the logic games, it's like super clear, right? I mean, it's just it's like anybody given enough time can answer every question with a hundred percent certainty, but it's really the same on logical reasoning and reading comprehension. They, they really intended for one answer to be obviously answering the question and the four wrong answers just don't. And if you stop thinking about, you know, if you, if you go too fast, then you're still thinking about the ones that, you know, you didn't quite answer you know, questions one through six. Mm-hmm. And that's bad because you're not working on question number seven because you know you already fucked up on questions one through six. Yeah. Alternatively, um, if you're worrying about number 25, then yeah, you're not like number seven is going to be a hell of a lot harder for you. Yeah. Because you're just not devoting your whole processing power to that one question. I know we, I apologize to the listeners because we've said the same shit a thousand times, but I mean, it's like the one LSAT lesson that people really, you need to hear it, I guess. Yeah. Sounds like David's cool. close. Yeah. Good luck, David. Um, hopefully some of that can be implemented into what you're doing right now and you can go even higher than the low 170s. It shouldn't feel yeah. like fighting for every single point. I, I, it does feel like David is a little bit like making it harder than it needs to be, resisting how easy the test actually is if he's mm-hmm. fighting for every point. What? They're giving you the vast majority of the points. They're giving them to you. Yeah. You just have to take your time to accept that gift. Last thing I would say for David is that when you start focusing on individual questions, maybe more than you already have, and you get into flow or whatever you want to call it, um, it's okay to get out of flow. It happens all the time. People find themselves starting to think about, oh, how much time do I have left and so on. Just catch yourself and then say, okay, that's not important and get back into the next question, whatever it is. Um, I think people beat themselves up because they understand what they need to do and what they need to focus on. And when they're not doing that, they think that they're like failing or something. It's, it's very normal for your brain to like go off on tangents. The really successful test takers hit a bump and they get back into the test instead of like going down that rabbit hole even more, which just pulls you away from the test even further. Yeah. A little bit of meditation can help. I've been doing my 10 minutes a day most days. And Sweet. it really is amazing how you just wander off. I mean, you're like, you have one job, which is to follow your breath or whatever brand of meditation you're doing. You know, you're just trying yeah, to quiet sure. your mind and just kind of focus on anything, whatever that thing is. And next thing you know, you're just off thinking about absolutely anything else besides what you were trying to think about and that's okay. And it's just all about returning to to Mm -hmm. center, getting back on the horse, 
And yeah, yeah, I think the best way to do that on the LSAT is just one question at a time. It's it's not about the previous questions and it's not about the future questions. It's about this one question that's in front of you. And I promise that it makes perfect sense. Uh, you just have to calm down enough and read carefully enough to realize that it's, oh, that's all there is to it? Yeah, that's all there is to it. Almost always. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, thank you, David, for writing in. You want to read this next email from Mosey? Mosey. I was debating that. I was like, would you say Mossy or Mosey? I'm going to go Mosey. Okay. I began my LSAT journey in early June, right? It's November now. My first practice go at the LSAT, I managed to score a 151. I cannot lie. I was pretty stoked. I ultimately did research on realistic score improvements, and I went ahead and set a personal goal of 165 come test day. Nice. Realistic score improvements research? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're going to find a lot of bad advice if you Google how much can I improve on the LSAT. Yeah. I mean, there's... There's straight up pre-law advisors or like admissions officers at schools out there who are just lying to you or not, not necessarily lying. They just don't know how much people can and do improve on the LSAT. But if you hear people talking about single digit improvements, no, <laughs> we're, yeah, you can improve by double digits and sometimes sure. 20 or, you know, even possibly 30 points. So you really just have to take, it's like the same, same thing we were just talking about. You just take one practice test at a time and see where you're at. And then I don't know. It's yeah. the sky's the limit. 151 is using... a great starting score. I mean, at, like 151 frequently, I think people are going to make it into the 170s. So Mosey setting a goal of 165 is like, well, okay, that's a nice goal, I suppose. And 165 is a solid score, but are you sure you're not shortchanging yourself? Why not hire? Yeah. All right. I was using a different LSAT prep website. It rhymes with Lawn Academy. Okay. <laughs> I found that once I started getting into the high 150s, I would stay there or drop. I wasn't learning anything. I simply was becoming more familiar and, I guess, gaining more exposure alone typically means a higher score than before up until a certain point. Uh, that's a lot of random speculation there on Mosey's part. I mean, point is Lawn Academy was not working for Mosey. Yep. That is when I found the demon and boy, has it been a dream come true. The most important lesson I've, I learned through the demon was understanding why you choose, why you chose wrong answers and why you didn't like the correct one. Nathan's explanations were terrific, and I finally started truly understanding this test. That's great. I sat to take the exam in October, and I followed y'all's advice. I'm Southern. We say y'all. So do we. Okay. Cool. I got into my regular practice test routine on test day, meditated, listened to some Kane and... (laughs) Kanye, Ben. Kanye. Kanye. I I knew that was it, but... I, yeah. Sorry, Kanye West. It's okay. No, it's all right. Yeah, Kanye West. I know. Yes. Isn't he getting divorced or something? Okay. <laughs> That's all I know. I don't care. Okay. And ACDC. Yep. That's a wide range there. Yeah, that is quite a range. And took that bad boy as if it as if I was hoping on the hop sorry, Jesus Louise. As if I was hopping on the demon on my regular lonely Saturdays. 
Mosey's getting pumped up with some Kanye. Okay, I don't know. Like this, it sounds like a real, like a real specific routine. Which I don't know. I don't think that's super important. It's over engineering. It's whatever works for you is fine. But like, it doesn't matter. You know, if if they if there was like all of a sudden it was a um, you know like a Shanghai type of a situation where they like if I went and I I know the I know the code to Ben's garage. If I like broke into Ben's house. And did like an air horn and I forced Ben to get out of bed and in his tidy whities and immediately start doing the LSAT, he would do fine. <laughs> like he's the because the thing is, if you're good at the test, then it doesn't matter what you do before the test. Like it's fine. But anyway, Mosey has a, a complicated pregame ritual involving meditation, but then also getting pumped up with Kanye and ACDC. So anyway, it's Kane, a Kane, Kane, an yeah. ACDC. But anyway, how did that long, work out? Long story short, I ended up scoring a 167 first try. And for my set goal and desired schools, that is plenty enough for me to be able to go where I want, as I wish to stay in the South and practice in my hometown. I am more than content. Most importantly, mama is happy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Big thanks to everyone at Elsa Demon. I have plenty of friends wanting to go to law school in the coming years, and I tell them the demon is the only way to go. The demon can get you the results only if you're willing to put in the work. Y'all are the best. Three-month demon subscriber signing off. Okay, uh, 167. That's that's um, awesome. I almost wonder if Mosey's 165 goal actually helped him to sell himself short. thousand percent. Mosey, you have settled for a score that is less than what you're probably capable of. In negotiation terms, they have this concept called anchoring. You anchored mm-hmm. yourself on 165, and you just decided that one, for no reason, you decided that 165 was a good goal. That's really why we don't even talk about sto- about goals. I mean, yeah, we don't. The, the first thing Lawn Academy does is it has you set a goal. And we don't do that here because we don't know how high you might actually be able to reach. And like Mosey, yeah. it, you know, if you settle on some goal, we think that that might actually prevent you from scoring higher. Now, all that is to, you know, whatever. Congratulations, Mosey. If we take Mosey at their word, 167 might be more than enough to get a full ride at the best law school that Mosey is willing to go to. If that's the case, then great. But boy, if you're paying tuition or if there's a better school you could go to, then you're making a pretty tragic mistake by settling for that 167. Yeah, it's great. It's awesome. I mean, I'm glad you got there. I just hope that your practice test scores aren't substantially higher and you're just, I don't know, checking out. Just don't pay for law but, school, Mosey. If you're going to get a full ride with that 167, then, you know, more power to you. Um, yeah. but if you, boy, if, if a couple more points would get you $50,000 more in scholarship money, um, you need to reconsider and take the test again. Yeah. Thanks for writing in. Um, glad you had a good experience and glad your mama is happy. Um, oh, so let's jump into pearls versus turds. Yeah. This is where we take some, yeah, you know, advice out there for the LSAT or law school admissions and decide whether it's good or bad. The scoreboard so far is that we've come across 16 pearls 
56 turds, and 24 ties. This so. one is coming to us from N. It says, hi, y'all. I was at a law school mixer yesterday when the director of admissions made the comment that, quote, it is always better to over-explain than under-explain because we have very active imaginations. She gave the example of having LSAT scores that do anything but go up. Scores trend down or trend up and down, but it also applied to personal statements when she made the comment. Seems iffy to me. Care to share your thoughts? Thanks, N. So what do you think of this uh, tip from um, the fox guarding the hen house who oh says it's... it is always better to over-explain than under-explain because we have very active imaginations? What do you oh think about God. that? Oh, my God. Absolutely not. It is such... BS. Imagine you're you're going into negotiations with these people. They're, you're going to negotiate how much you pay to get what they're offering, and they're telling us they're telling you to tell them as much as possible. Of course, of course, the other side in a negotiation always wants more information because somewhere in that information is going to be little clues that reveal how weak or strong your position is. Um, <laughs> I just got the question the other day. Someone was asking, Hey, I have a DUI, but then it, the DUI got knocked down to something else or reckless driving or something like that. Do I need to disclose that I had a DUI? And my answer to that question is always, well, what's the literal question that the law school is asking you answer that question literally, which is truthfully, and you're done. That's how lawyers Go around in this world. They don't yeah. say, oh, and by the way, <laughs> while I, yeah, I got reckless driving. Uh, yeah, I got conviction for that. But I, it was actually stemmed from a DUI incident or potential DUI incident. It's like, no, now you're just vomiting information. Just don't take advice from law school admissions folk. <laughs> They're not, I, the, They're the not more I think about this, the more I'm, my, I'm pretty clear here. Their incentives are just not aligned with your incentives. Their incentives are exactly the opposite of your incentives. They have no incentive to make you a better applicant. They have no incentive to help you position yourself to emphasize your strengths and downplay your weaknesses. They want to know your weaknesses. You don't want them to know your weaknesses. Don't listen yeah. to them when they're telling you to fucking over explain. That's bullshit. That's like a prosecutor in a, uh, you know, it's a murder trial or something. The prosecutor talking to the defendant like, oh, you know, you'll be fine. You should definitely just take the stand. And um, when you do, just be yourself. Just, you know, like just answer freely. <laughs> be yourself. And um, <laughs> we want to, you know, because really the, we want to know who you really are. So we just want to um, know the whole story. Yeah, because just, we have overactive imaginations. Yeah, we are. We, I mean, hey, if you don't take the stand and fully explain everything we ask you, then, you know, we're just going to imagine that uh, you probably did it. So, yeah. Yeah, we think you definitely should just get up there and um, speak freely. Really let it mm -hmm. out. <laughs> Bullshit. You're just... It, <laughs> I don't know why I didn't arrive at this conclusion a long time ago. Mm. But it's just obvious. They can have the best intentions in the world. And, I, and I'm, I'm willing to give... The, I'm willing to grant that they do have the best of intentions. 
but their incentives are not aligned with your incentives. And because of that, it just seems very clear that yeah. you should not listen to anything they have to say about law school admissions. Mm -hmm. they're, they're not your friend. They're just not helping you. This is a clear and, turd. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for writing in, N. Um, N says, seems iffy to me. You're, you're right. You're, your gut is right. Well, if you have a, yeah, we, we have late, we have more examples of this coming up later on the show. So stay tuned because oh, okay. there's other examples of law school admissions folk giving extremely bad advice. Um, they just, you know, they're already talking to you. They want one thing. They want you to apply to their school and pay them money and, and pay them money because they need people to pay tuition. They don't want to give you a scholarship if they can avoid giving you a scholarship. And so yep. they don't want to make you into a better candidate. They don't want you to retake the LSAT and get a better score. They want you to apply with the shitty score you have and then pay them full tuition because you're already interested in them. Mm -hmm. It's just not the math of it does not work out for them to give you good advice. They would be hurting themselves if they gave you good advice. If they told you to retake the LSAT, get 10 points yeah. higher, then you would go get a scholarship at a better school. Yeah. And if there is some, you know, when when you over explain in your in your application anywhere, personal statement or anywhere else in your application, when you over explain, then you're giving them ammunition to deny you or to not give you a scholarship you know, or like when you make it clear that you got accommodations on the LSAT, you're, you're just giving them ammunition to discriminate against you. So don't. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, this person said we have very active imaginations that can be both positive and negative, right? If you put your best foot forward, their imagination yeah. can go beyond <laughs> right. what you're actually capable yeah. of. It doesn't matter. You want them to believe that so they get FOMO when they start to get yeah. the sense that you're applying to another school. That's why you carefully think about which facts you want to include and which facts you want to omit. You, mm -hmm. you don't have room to tell your entire life story. You have room to present facts that present you in a good light and allow their overly active imaginations or very active imaginations, they're humans. You present evidence that would invite them to imagine good things about you <laughs> instead of presenting evidence that clearly invites them to imagine bad things about you. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that hard, but you do have to like have one bit of what is it? Empathy. Maybe it's empathy. <laughs> you have to be able to consider the other, like consider what they're who they are and what they do. Yeah. What their goal is and what they're trying to accomplish. <laughs> Fucking yep. Think about they're it. trying to get you to apply to them, only them, and then be locked into a position where you either have to go to them and pay full price or not go at all. They're going to feed and you all kinds of bullshit about justice and access and diversity. And they're, you know, they're going to go on and on and on about like, we, it's really important that we expand the, we want, you know, to embrace 
we, the, it's so important that you have access to legal education and all this bullshit. And they, they make it look like they're really trying to help you, you know, build your career. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that that might be true, but only to the extent that it involves going to their school and paying a lot of money. Yep. Because that's their job. That's literally their job. I mean, they should get fired if that's not what they're trying to do. <laughs> like, wait, what? I mean, if you're the administration of the school and you know for a fact that your admissions people are like giving people actually good advice and tell, oh, well, you should probably apply to like 15 law schools and definitely take the LSAT multiple times. And oh, yeah, your score right now is plenty good to get in here, but. You know, with five or six more points, you could go to this other better school and probably get a scholarship even. Which would be better for your career, but... Like, um. yeah, like, I mean, if they were giving you honest advice, they would look at, frequently, they would look at you and they would go, oh, yeah, you're overqualified for our school. Like, you never would end up at our school. Yeah. But they're never, ever are they going to say that. That's not a thing that they say. Yep. Because they would be fired, and they should be fired. <laughs> that's what they did. I mean, yeah. that's not their job. Their job is to. They're get... trying to build a basketball team and the best <laughs> basketball team they can get. They're not going to go to people and say, "Well, you're a really good player, but that's probably why you should go." Yeah, you up should to... probably be in a different league. You shouldn't be playing yeah. here. No, instead they're like, "Oh, you're a perfect fit for our team." Yeah, when can you start? Yeah. Right now, like. Yeah, we need a forward. And... Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and and like the advice that they give. I mean, we've gone through it ad nauseum on this show and on our other show, LSAT Demon Daily, their, their advice is like, oh, you can write about anything. It doesn't, just tell us why, tell us how you decided that you wanted to be a lawyer. Like, I guarantee they don't give a shit about reading some story about something that happened to you when you were in first grade and like family drama and that they don't actually want that. But what they do want is for you to apply to their school right now. Yep. That's what they want. And that's why they give such shitty advice that's just all over the place. And it's just like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's a million different things you could t tell us everything. Yeah, overshare. <laughs> because they want your application. And if you say anything that's a deal breaker, they will enthusiastically deny you because that helps their yield. But what they really want is you to apply. And then if your numbers are in the ballpark, they want you to hopefully pay tuition. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's the game. I mean, anyway. Yeah. If you have a Pearl have versus Turd candidate, you can email help you. at thinkinglsat.com or find us on social at thinkinglsat. Um, there's a lot of real bad advice out there. And we would love to uh, help debunk as much of it as possible. So send it on in and we'll, we'll get to it on the show one of these days. Cool. You got the next one? Um, sure. <clears throat> hey, Ben and Nathan. Love the pod and wanted to reach out for some advice. I recently got my first LSAT score back from the October test and scored a 167 exclamation point. This was a nine point improvement from my diagnostic 158, which I took in June. My GPA is 3.98 slash 4.0. I don't know what that means, but I think just out of a 4.0 scale. Oh, 3.98. Yeah. Okay. 3.98. So I am basically in the top 75% percent 
at all schools, but I am taking the LSAT again in January with hopes of scoring 170 plus. Um, I'm a thousand percent on board with that. Ironically, people always say like, well, my GPA is only 3.0, so I really need a good LSAT. Mm. And I always, resp- I just, I can't not think, well, actually, everybody needs the best LSAT they can get. And it's kind of ironic, but when you have a 3.8, that's when you, or sorry, 3.98, that's when you really need the best LSAT you can get. Because you can go to the best schools in the world and possibly for free. Because it actually matters at that point. Like at, at that point, that's when you get to actually play in the big leagues. Like yeah. 3.0, you're not in the big leagues. Sorry. It's not happening. Yeah. Like you do need the best LSAT you can get because you can still go to a good law school and you can still get a scholarship. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But yep. the ship has sailed in the vast majority of cases. The ship has sailed on Stanford actual law school. Yeah. And so, you know, at that point, I don't it's like, yeah, yeah, you're going to end up going to a good but not great law school and you're, you're, you can go for free. So absolutely get the best LSAT you can. But what I hate to see is people with a 4.0 or a 3.98 being at all willing to settle for a 167, right? That 167 yeah. exclamation point that Adam wrote about is like... Especially mm. with a diagnostic of 158. That's yeah, a high diagnostic. 158 is a great diagnostic. And Adam, you need to for sure get a, a score somewhere in the 170s. Yep. Anyway, Adam continues with some questions. First, I am curious if you have any general advice for improving scores in the high 160s, low 170s. I prepared for the October exam using Demon Basic, but I am running out of practice sections. Obviously, I understand that y'all may be biased, but would upgrading to premium or live for a month or two be helpful? What do you think, Ben? Yeah, well, first of all, upgrading will give you access to more tests than you have even in Law Hub. So... (laughs) That alone will be helpful. But to me, I mean, I understand that everybody's financial situation is different, but we're talking about a $100 difference per month. So if you do this for two months, $200 to go up to premium, $400 for two months to go up to live. But there's there's so much <laughs> money on the table. I, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold back for that reason. And if you go to live classes, even just three times a week, and somehow, you know, a few things hit home that didn't hit home before, and now you're scoring in the mid 170s, gosh, it just changes everything. So I would say, yes, we're biased, but I can't see how it wouldn't be helpful or worth it. Certainly, there are things that are helpful, but maybe not worth it. This is if it has even more. a 10% chance of getting four more LSAT points, yeah, those four more LSAT points are worth tens of thousands of dollars or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, it, it, and I think there's a lot better than a 10% chance that that'll, that it'll work. Um, it's not a hundred percent, but it's a, um, it's a good chance of transformative, upside and it is a no-brainer i am biased but that does not mean that i'm wrong yeah um do live uh or premium i like i love live because we have 
multiple classes seven days a week. You can drop in and talk to me, drop in and talk to Ben, drop in and talk to a dozen other 170-something scorers who, by the way, all got there via the LSAT Demon and this podcast. Um, it I, <laughs> I would be shocked if uh, you don't crack the 170s if you do that for a month or two and follow our advice. Yeah. Um, Adam continues. Secondly, I am tempted to submit applications this cycle just to see what kind of offers I get. Ben is already shaking his head. This is a terrible idea, Adam. My intention would still be to reapply at the beginning of next cycle, but if I ended up getting a good offer from a T20 school, it might be hard to turn down. Should I be spending time drafting a personal statement, getting letters of rec, etc., or just focus on the January LSAT for the time being? Just focus on the LSAT for the time being. This is the biggest piece of your application that is going to make a difference. It your L, just hyper focus on the LSAT and of course your normal life, work and whatever you're doing and um just get that score and then everything else will be downhill from there. I'm not saying you shouldn't knock the, you know, hit a home run with your personal statement, but you don't need to do that now. What you need to do is you need to get into the 170s. That is your number one priority. And if that doesn't happen in January, you're going to be doing it in February. And you're going to be kicking yourself if you get sidetracked by all this other stuff and especially just the whole process. I mean, applying requires a lot of stupid busy work, filling out questions for schools, and then you're running into this situation where you're going to be tempted by some offer because you're like, oh, maybe I can't get that offer next year. Like, don't think about any of that. Don't waste any mental energy on that. Focus entirely on improving your LSAT score. I feel like Adam is on the verge of making just a tragic mistake. It's, and and it's human nature and it's super common and your friends and family are probably encouraging you to do it. Your mom and dad are probably like, no, you should just, why don't you just apply right now and just see what kind of offers you get? Because you got a 167. Good job. That's a great score. Yeah. Why are you, why are you still thinking about the LSAT? You already won. No, you did not. No, you did not already win. There's twice as many people who applied last cycle with 175 and higher as the previous cycle. Yeah. You're you're knocking on the door of the big leagues, but you're not in the big leagues yet, Adam. You're you're in the double AA, A, triple A. You're not you're and it's it's a shame that you're even considering a school, a T twenty school. What even is a T twenty school? What are you talking about? You're talking about Vanderbilt or Boston University? The, yeah, you have what? the GPA. To go to Harvard, Yale, Stanford. Yeah. Let's, Let's just do that. stop the discussion right there. I mean, you, we are not elitists. We are, we are not like, oh, go to the top 14 or don't go at all. We never, ever say that. We say don't pay for law school. But exceptions can be made for Yale and Stanford. And many of our teachers former or current teachers even have decided Mm -hmm. that it's worth it for them to go pay for Harvard and Yale. Yeah. And you can talk to them about that decision and we, you know, sure. We might still say, well, really? Cause you could have gone to NYU for free or whatever. 
but at that point, we're going to we're willing to kind of back off and say, you know, the opportunities that a Stanford law school gives you might be worth like fine, whatever. Yeah. But you're talking about like, OK, so you get a scholarship at Boston University right now. I mean, I just went to lsatdemon.com slash scholarships. Yep. I looked at our scholarship estimator. I put in 3.98 and 167, and it's looking like right now Adam gets a full ride to Boston University Law School. That's a top 20 school. If Adam considered that to be a great offer and went to BU, I would just consider that to be a tragic short selling. Mm -hmm. It's weird. Like people don't believe in themselves as much as we believe in them, I guess. But like, what are I'm looking at other T20 schools, right? It, because you never mean T14 when you say T20. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you only mean um, Georgetown, UT Austin, Vanderbilt, Wash U in St. Louis, USC, mm. or Boston University. Like, that's what you mean when you say T20. Yeah. And to me, it's like, wait a second. If you got four more LSAT points because right now the best full tuition scholarship on the estimator is BU mm. with a 167 mm. with a 171. Oh my God. So that's four more LSAT points. Yeah. And not only are there full tuition scholarships from higher ranked schools, but I'm seeing more than full tuition at Duke ranked 10th and wow. North, oh, sorry, University of Michigan ranked yeah. 11th and both of those schools with a 171 seem like they're going to not only give you a full ride, but also give you a stipend. Not to mention a full ride at Cornell, a full ride at Georgetown, more than full at Vanderbilt, Wash U, USC. <laughs> like it's just I, like Adam, please. I'm begging you. If you got a good offer from a T20 school this year, it would be the worst thing that ever happened to you. And you yep. wouldn't even know how bad it was because you don't know how you'd good be it'll so be. happy with your good offer. Like you called it good, <laughs> which, you know, that's maybe we, maybe we should just shut up. Maybe we should just let Adam go be happy, like blissfully ignorant. But no, he's seeking. Yeah. He's seeking our advice. He knows. Yeah. And we win. Like, think about our incentives. Yeah. Our incentives are for Adam to go be a real baller in the world. Like, Adam someday being a United States congressman is good for us. Yeah. <laughs> right? Or Adam being some high-level federal judge is really good for us. Adam being a law professor, really good for us. We want you to kill it. <laughs> Our incentives are we need you to go be a serious baller in law. Yeah. Uh, because if you do, then you'll continue to have people asking you about LSAT prep and you're going to say us. So our incentives are pretty solidly aligned with your incentives. Um, I, I just don't want Adam to settle. It's, he's got, it's such a good opportunity. That 3.98 is money. He just needs the 170 something to go along with it. And yeah. wait till the beginning of the next cycle. Don't be lazy, Adam. And don't let your friends and family talk you into it. 
Everybody's parents are pushing them to make bad decisions. Like, your folks don't know the law school admission game. Even if they're lawyers, they just don't know what they're talking about. This happens all the time, by the way. As a parent, you're expected to know a lot of shit. And so your kids come to you with some random problem, and you analogize to some other domain of the world, and you give them some advice. And sometimes that's good, but a lot of times I find myself saying, you know what, I don't know. And I go get an audiobook, and then I start to know a little bit. But even then, I just know a little bit. But I still feel a lot better than when I didn't know anything at all. And... I can only imagine how many times I've just given random advice out of my ass that may have no basis in like the actual field. <laughs> there you have it. Yeah. Parents are full of shit and Ben Olson <laughs> knows cause he's a parent. Um, yep. Yeah. All right, Adam, please write us back, man. Keep us, keep us posted with your progress on the LSAT. Come talk to us in class. If you decide to upgrade to premium or live, um, boy, I really think with a 158 diagnostic, you should end up at like 175 or something. And if you do that, it's not just a little bit better. Like you're clearly excited about the 167, but 174 shits all over a 167. I mean, it's just not even the same. It's a totally it's a different, league. different league. A totally different league. It's like the difference between being able to hit an 80 mile an hour fastball. I can't hit an 80 mile an hour fastball. I can't play college baseball. No fucking way. Like I would not be able to touch an 80 mile an hour fastball. Being able to hit an 80 mile an hour fastball. Great. You can play in a certain league. You cannot play in the big leagues, though. In the big leagues, you're going to need to be able to hit a 90, 95 mile an hour fastball. And they are similar to people who can't even touch 80 miles an hour. People who can't touch 167, sure, that's a great score. But if you're capable of hitting the big league heat, you should, you should keep working on that. Mm -hmm. All right, enough of that. <laughs> he has a third question or something. Oh, third question from Adam. Lastly, I haven't heard y'all talk much about the optional essays offered by a lot of the schools I am looking at. How important or unimportant are those and how specific do they need to be? Uh, if I send out 12 or more applications, is it worth going through and writing optional essays for each school? Feel free to use I, my name on the pod. Thanks and advice for the advanced best Adam. I'm glad that Adam is thinking ahead, but I really want him to just stay focused on the LSAT. Me too. And say, Don't worry about any of this. Me too. Don't be lazy, Adam. I mean, I got to say, I've been getting this a lot lately, which mm. because that means that people are applying too late in the cycle. It's like you're already not listening to our advice if you're asking me about optional essays right now in mid-November. Yeah. It's yeah. like you should already be thinking about applying next cycle, not this cycle. Yeah. And we've gone on and on at fucking extreme length about that. So I'm sorry, but listen to our bigger advice, which is apply in September. Second, what real lawyer is out there asking this question? Should I do, should I do, should I bother with these optional essays? Yeah. Should I do these? Yeah, you should, if they make your application better. <laughs> That's the standard. That's the question. Can you write, can you answer the question confidently with a good piece of information that's going to 
be the same or ideally better than the rest of your application? If it's not, then don't answer the question. That's, that's, it's always the same answer. If we were in a legal matter, you know, like you have the option to file many motions. Should you bother filing those motions? I don't know. Are they going to help your case? <laughs> like, are you going to get something out of it? Yeah. If you're going to overshare unnecessary bad information, <laughs> right. then don't do it. But if you're like, oh, this question resonates with me, I have something to say about it, um, and it makes me look good, then write it and submit it. That's that's the question. That's always the question. Yeah. Now, you can recycle some content, like, for example, if you have a blurb about your transcripts that you think people ought to know, or if you want to write a diversity statement or whatever, you can certainly copy paste some of that and use the same stuff for multiple applications. But other places, if they're asking you specific questions and you don't see that question asked on any other application, um, you probably have an opportunity there to make a case for yourself or marginally improve your case somehow Yeah. with a thoughtful answer that paints you in a good light. So, boy, lawyers are just not lazy. You know, I, I, I think you should carefully consider every single one of those prompts and carefully consider whether you can help your case by answering. Yep. And it's okay not to answer. <laughs> like silence is a frequently a great option. Yeah. But I can't just blanket tell you whether you should or should not. I, I mean, I, I, I you should definitely consider every one though. I'll stop yep. with that. Cool. Okay. You ready to look at this uh, email? Let me th let me think where this came from. Oh, yeah. Eric sent this to us. Sure. He's a demon student and part of our team helping us with some video stuff. Thank you, Eric. Um, he forwarded this from Pace University, Elizabeth Haub School of Law because they're out there pimping this January accelerated program. And Eric wanted to know whether these programs are anything that he should be thinking about. You want to yeah, maybe subject skim line through is, this? Yeah. Yeah. Subject line is start law school this January. And this was sent on November 2nd. Right away. Um, it's like unsubscribe. I mean, I, what? Yeah. I, no, I do not want to start law school two months from now. Because if I do this, I will, by definition, not know what my true market is or my true value is in the marketplace. I mean, this is like... It just screams like desperation. It's like, can we get you in the door yeah, paying money right away? It's also very crafty of them, right? I mean, what they're inviting you to do is to foreclose. Just They, they want you to shut the door on all other law schools. Yeah. And I, and I don't think that this is a great way for them to get super strong applicants. <laughs> I mean, like they're fishing for lazy applicants. Yep. Anyway, we want to tell you want to talk a little bit about it is a it is a very mildly accelerated program. 
Yeah, let me read this. So it says, Dear Eric, as you consider the law school options available to you, I encourage you to look at Pace University in White Plains, New York. Our January accelerated program allows students to graduate within two and a half years. If you have completed your bachelor's degree and wish to begin law school immediately, this program would allow you to do so without having to wait until the fall of 2022. Yeah, I mean, this is... (laughs) They're just trying to pick you off before you know your market value, like you said. As you consider your law school options, (laughs) well, let's just shut them all down as quickly as we can. Our unique, they continue, our unique path to practice curriculum, our superb location in the heart of the nation's most dynamic legal marketplace. Okay, stop. I mean, I got to stop there. In the heart of the nation's most dynamic legal marketplace? Whoa. In the heart of it? White Plains, New York? It's <laughs> Google Maps is telling me that White Plains, New York is an inner suburb of New York City. Um, hmm. I mean, I guess there's a lot of people there. It's the county seat. It's the commercial hub of Westchester, which is a densely populated suburban county that is home to approximately one million people. There's a lot of folks there, but that's also a long-ass way from Manhattan. I mean, that's not... <laughs> it's, it's not New York City. It's not in the heart. <laughs> no, it's not in the heart of. It's in the heart. It might be in the foot of almost <laughs> Connecticut. I mean, it's not. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that quibble so, aside. Yeah, uh, and and this long ass list continues. Our commitment to providing exceptional value to students and our nationally recognized centers of excellence, whatever the fuck that is. What? All. <laughs> what are your centers of excellence? All of these make Pace the ideal choice for many students like yourself. Okay. Okay. What's the deal about the accelerated program, though? How, how does this work out? Where does it say? I don't know. It's two and a half years. Um, oh, there's a link. Well, there's a link to it, to the January, uh, because it okay. said that it allows students to graduate within two and a half years. My guess is that they make you study over one of the summers and probably charge you every bit as much as they would have charged you if you would have gone via the regular program. You know, when we think accelerated program, we think, oh, cool. Like maybe I'll get done with it quicker and it won't cost as much. I doubt that that's the actual case here. Oh, here's okay. So I read a little bit more. It says, um, I'm sure they charge you the same amount. Here's why it says, uh, the accelerated program allows full-time and part-time day students to enroll in law school in January and complete their degree in under three years. The length, structure, and content of the January accelerated program mirrors the traditional fall start program. Students, quote, I don't know why they're using scare quotes, accelerate by completing the second semester of their 1L year over the first summer. Yeah, exactly. And then commencing, yeah. Exactly as predicted. So it's like they're fishing for, are you so lazy slash are you so naive like you don't know the game and probably your mom and dad you know bless them they love you your mom and dad are like pushing you to get into law school and they're they're they are fishing here for bad applicants i mean like let's take a quick peek at the pace aba 509 Um, this is an ABA accredited law school since 1978. 
if you Google Pace University ABA509, you will find this PDF that I'm looking at here. For the class that yep. entered in 2020, their 75th percentile LSAT was 153. I mean, yeah, what? 75% yeah. of the class has less than a 153. Those are not the masters of the universe. This is, you know, they're, they're like trying to act like New York City, big baller, you know, center of legal hubs, whatever. Uh, really? I mean, three quarters of your class is underperforming the average person who takes the LSAT. Yeah, and, and then check this out too. Applicants should take the LSAT by, well, they said LSAT exam, <laughs> LSAT exam by November for spring admission. PACE operates on a rolling admissions program, meaning students may still apply and be accepted for enrollment following the December 1st suggested deadline. Decisions typically take two to three weeks. When does the spring program start? It starts the second week of January. They're basically accepting people like weeks before they turn around and begin law school. They're hoping to fill the seats that they lost from their first semester 1L group. Yeah, it, it, it's this is not good. This is not... This is bad. Well, yeah. right. I mean, and that might be... I mean let's give them some credit. Do we have attrition? Is attrition on here? The, the thing that people uh, need to understand is that attrition is a good thing. Oh, here it is. Yeah, but they, it doesn't look like they have any attrition. Really? Well, why? Um, 4.2%. I mean, so they're, they're losing people and they're trying to fill those. But that's good. by, yeah. I mean, losing people is good because if you're struggling in your first year of law school, you should drop out. Like there, in fact, that's why Ben and I, we've said this a thousand times. We think everybody should have to take the baby bar because you should be protected from predatory law schools. A law school that has a 153, 75th percentile is not a good law school. Yeah. And they are selling the dream to people. And if if they are also failing people out of the first year, then that means that they're a little bit conscientious about their scam. Yeah. But if they just let everybody graduate, which seems like that's what happens here because the attrition is only, it was 11 people last year. Yeah. They lost 11 one yeah. L's out of 272. Yeah. That should be much, much higher if they actually had a conscience. Yeah. I mean, because there's no way these people are successful. I, I just can't. I don't. I don't buy it. And you shouldn't buy it either. Yeah. Um, hmm. That was a tangent. What, what were we talking about? <laughs> we were basically just saying, don't don't fall for this. I, I was reading this thing under exceptional value. Talk about value. It says law school is a big investment. So we do everything possible to make sure our students get a sound return. Really? Really? I sure hope that's true. The first step is keeping the cost reasonable. We have reduced student debt by offering competitive scholarship and grant funding to qualified students. Okay, well, you're helping some of your folks. You're helping the folks who are going to help you raise your LSAT. And you could GPA just lower the tuition. The, the yeah. tuition is $25,000 per semester. Yep. 
okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, 86% of the class pays something less than that. Hmm. They're doing the same scam everybody else is doing. They're they're yep. brutally overcharging people and then they're giving everybody some kind of a cheesy scholarship. 43% of their class got a less than half tuition scholarship, which means 43% of their class is there on a scholarship but still paying more than $25,000 per year to go to this school. Yeah. Which if even if it was 25 per year, it would be overpriced. Instead, it's 25 per semester. And, you know, these like getting a $5,000 scholarship or a $10,000 scholarship to this school means that you're still brutally overpaying. Um, another 37% get somewhere between half and full tuition. And then 7% of the class gets full tuition. If this is the best school you can go to for free, then okay, it's the best school you can go to for free. But if you're going to pay any money at all to go to this school, I think you're getting ripped off. Hey, last sentence here. It says, please join us for an online counseling session. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look be- at how they phrase that. Oh, right? no. It's like, hey, they, come. Oh, that's, we're going to help oh, yeah. you. They all do that. That's the, see, I'm starting to see the, the full thing. It's like, oh, we're going to be so helpful. They have all kinds of these things. Personal statement, writing workshops <laughs> and how to do, you know, resume building and yeah. strategies for financing and all this bullshit. And it's strategies like, for financing. That's the worst, man. That's, we're going to show you how to get the money to give to us. <laughs> yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this, no, thank you, Eric, for sending this in. This is not a good idea. Don't do this. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, we got a personal statement. We do. I, um, this, so we've changed our, um, way of doing personal statements on this show, uh, okay. in order to protect, uh, my mental health personally. Um, we have <laughs> the gauntlet wasn't enough. The check boxes weren't doing anything. We were still getting yep. too many garbage personal statements that were not following any of our advice. So now team member Haley is um, she's young and resilient. So her mental state, she can handle it. She's going through and actually gatekeeping and sending us no more than one good personal statement per week or the best of all of the submissions uh, has okay. a chance of making it onto the show. Okay. Um, I can't, I'm, am I, you're reading, I guess, right? I guess I just read. Yeah. And Hey, let me, I, I was distracted for a second because I want to talk more about this, um, trend of (laughs) law school admissions folk giving applicants terrible advice. Hmm. And I thought I had it on the agenda for this show. It turns out that I have it on the agenda for LSAT Demon Daily. Okay. Um, so you're going to need to tune in to that show to hear our full discussion. We got an email yeah. from somebody from Pace. Uh, no, no, this is not from Pace. My bad. This is from um, Loyola in Los Angeles. Yeah. Regional law school in LA. It's fine. It creates real lawyers. It's not, not, not great. There are much better law schools right there. So they're a regional law school, but it's got this slide, which is hilarious. I can't wait for you to see it. It's got this slide about financing law school. 
And it's like, mm. basically, everybody thinks that they're going to get scholarships. But really, what you need to do is think about federal loans and <laughs> private loans. And even maybe do a GoFundMe and beg your friends and family to pay. A GoFundMe? It says literally GoFundMe on the slide. Oh, my God. And um, anyway, I can't wait to rip this up. But we're going to do that on Demon Daily. So um, okay. we'll <laughs> talk to you all on the other side. Uh, if you would like to, that's a five day a week, uh, shorter podcast, by the way, um, wherever you listen to this, you can also listen to demon daily. Yep. All right. Okay. Ready for an actually good personal statement. Let's hear it. Or hopefully actually good. The best that we received this week. Okay. I am a critically acclaimed jazz guitarist. My music has received radio play on every continent. I have toured North America and performed at Canada's premier jazz clubs. I have performed alongside Canada's best jazz musicians, notably Juno Award winners, semicolon, what? Ooh. Kelly Jefferson, <sighs> Ernesto Cervini, and Jackie Richardson. David, I have a feeling that this personal statement is going to be better than most. There's already a lot here that I like but your semicolon privileges are revoked. You don't know how to use them. Do not use a semicolon ever. Um, you also failed to include the serial comma or the Oxford comma, whatever you want to call it. Serving. You have a list. Yep. A list of three or more items. You need a comma before the last and yeah. the last item. I achieved this professional success by developing both musical and non-musical skills. That kind of like a conclusion i'm guessing that david's going to kind of go into some of that later probably could have just omitted that and just got i would have omitted into it. it what do you think um so i like that this is different i like that um david is putting his best foot forward here by telling best us best foot forward by far he's telling yeah. us something that he's good at which is like you know what does jazz guitar have to do with being a lawyer well it, shit tons of hard work yeah. I mean, like being good at anything, especially something that requires hard work, that's a really good topic because yep. you're inviting me to use my active imagination to imagine that you probably might be also good at other things if you can be good enough to be a critically acclaimed jazz guitarist. If the phone rang right now, I would accept David. Yep. Assuming his numbers are right. Yep. Your sentences are clear. You've made some... Misuse Punctuation of a mistakes. Yeah. But overall, your message, your sentences are short. They're clear. You're putting your best foot forward. So many statements start right. with the failure, start with random bullshit that doesn't make sense. I could see even David jumping into this without giving us context, but he did. He's it's like, okay, I don't know anything about jazz, but I see you as a winner in this field, and we want winners. I'm sure you can bring your skills over. Yep. To the law. Now, this last sentence, I think I agree 100%. It can be and should be cut. I achieved this professional success by developing both musical and non-musical skills. Like what? It's kind of a given. Yeah, let's get in <laughs> like, there. Yeah. Let's let's hear about yeah. those actual skills. Don't just say skills as if that says anything. It doesn't say anything. Like, let's talk yep. about what those actually are. But I also, I mean, we're always going to nitpick. There's a little overselling here with the adjectives. Um, you know, does it really have to be Canada's premier jazz clubs? 
premier jazz sure. clubs. I mean, you could have named one of them maybe because that's a fact. You could have named, you know, in Toronto and Vancouver and Ottawa or whatever. You could have done that. That would have been maybe okay because that's a fact. But just sort of dropping in there premier when you... It's conclusory. Yeah, yeah, and also critically acclaimed jazz guitarist. Is there a way that you could have said that more specifically? Like, did you win an award? Who's yeah. the critic who acclaimed you? Where, what do you mean critically acclaimed is just kind of like fluff? Yeah, I did hesitate on that, but then I was like, well, if someone did, if they're a known critic... I, I kind of let it go. I think, um, but I agree. I, I This is great. It's great. It just needs polish and we need to fix those. We can always do a mistakes. little bit better, but this is already yeah. starting off in a 170 type of a range because, yep. yeah, like Ben said, if we got interrupted right now, we're like, hey, we already like your LSAT and your GPA. Otherwise, we wouldn't be seriously considering you. What are you, a professional jazz guitarist? Yeah. You're in. Yeah. I don't need to know anything else. You're in. All right. To develop my musical abilities, I practiced my instrument five hours a day for eight years. You could probably cut the first half of that sentence. <laughs> I mean, like, it's a fact we that know you what practiced you're doing. your instrument yeah. five hours a day for eight years. And it goes without saying that you did that to develop your musical abilities. Yeah, and the next sentence repeats it. Jeez. Oh, I practiced for those hours in order to play guitar at a professional level. Yeah, no shit. Just talk more about being a pro. Yeah. We don't need the origin story. I like the fact of practiced five hours a day for eight years. I would love it to be almost like the introduction to a sentence that has like another point. So it's more like dropped in. Yeah, after like, practicing yeah. my instrument five hours a day for eight years, yes, I started yes. getting paid to do to be a jazz musician. And then tell us about your life as a professional jazz musician. Yeah. It, it just right now it feels like it's too much. It's like, oh, this is the sentence, this is the purpose. It's like, okay, I figured you practiced a lot. Yeah, no shit you practiced a lot. <laughs> like yeah. we already knew that the second you said I'm a critically acclaimed jazz guitarist. If you want to s- as Ben said, a preamble, a little short thing of along your way to making another point, you could mm-hmm. mention the specific fact about five hours a day for eight years. I specialize yeah. in a subgenre of jazz called bebop. Bebop is characterized by improvisation, virtuosic, 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 probably virtuosic speed. No, virtuosic, virtuosic speed and complicated harmonic structures. I studied historically significant musicians and their recordings to learn the fundamentals of bebop. I then built on those fundamentals to develop my own approach to playing bebop. All right, what else Overall, you got? good paragraph. I would just say cut some of this stuff out, shorten it up. Yep. Once I developed my musical skills to a professional level... I produced, wordy, David. Yeah, I produced an album in order to advance my career. Okay, no, David. No. <laughs> Stop with the the two phrases. Like you already had earlier. And the in order to, yeah, yeah. You already had to develop my musical abilities, which no shit. Produced an album in order to advance my career. Again, no shit. 
Yeah. Say just what you say, did, not why you did it. And think about think about the power of this. If you say, after producing my first album, comma, I did blah blah blah. All of a sudden, we're like, oh, you produced an album? Fuck, awesome. But right now, it's like this, like heavy-handed, very yeah. Here's what I did, and I did it to become better. It's like, yeah, yeah, we get it. Yeah, it's it is clunky. It's not. He's not smooth about the way he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Um. I implemented non-musical skills as the producer of this album. I don't even (sighs) think that that's a correct use of implemented. I'm not sure that you implement a skill. I think you can apply a skill. You can exercise a skill. You can use a skill. I don't think you implement a skill. Um, Also, it's just telling because it's conclusory. It's too high level. You need to just say what you fucking did. Look at this sentence. The next, so because he had the heavy-handed, I implemented non-musical skills as the producer of this album. Just cut that. But then yeah. because he did that, then he has to go, one example of this was. Ugh. That's five words there, dude, that don't need to be there. Get to your point. What did you do? One example of this was overseeing contracts between myself and my fellow musicians. I got to point out there, Ben. Overseeing contracts? Well, <laughs> also, it, it, okay, yeah, fine. So we can question that choice anyway, but look what he did there in that sentence. He made was the verb. Yep. And that it's this is passive writing, David, that you can fix. You have to try to get rid of forms of the verb to be. Is, was, were, all those things need to go if possible because you could have said oversaw as the verb here. I, I oversaw you contracts. The sub- yeah. <laughs> I agree 100%. This sentence could be a lot better by getting rid of the was and replacing it with I oversaw. And then I'd want to deal with oversaw. You, what oversaw, do you, mean you oversaw contracts? Right. What, you're trying to make yourself a lawyer? This just seems yeah. like David has an overselling problem. I agree. This, I agree. You 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 signed a couple contracts with your buddies because right. you had to make a deal. Like, yeah. stop saying too much. And how much yeah. did you actually do for right. that contract? Right. Like David, David, being badass at jazz is so much more impressive than you're trying to shoehorn in other skills that you. Oh, I had to do all kinds of other skills. Well, no, yeah, whatever. Maybe you shouldn't have. Like you maybe should have had a lawyer actually yeah, because you're using skills that you don't have. Like you, you do not have the skills to oversee a contract. You don't even know what that means. (laughs) You can't (laughs) because you haven't been to law school. Um, the contracts were straightforward agreements, establishing payment and royalty allotment. Well, if they were straightforward, then why is this even impressive? Mm -hmm. I managed the project's finances so that my team of musicians and recording engineers received the agreed upon payment. That is brutally overselling. Like, what did you do there? You you paid people for some work. (laughs) Instead, it's like I managed the finances. The project's finances. It was. My team received the agreed upon payment when I Venmoed them $40 for, you know, setting up the whatever that I did. 
Well, the problem with this too is that like it's because it sounds so grandiose when the sentence starts. It's like I manage the products fine projects finances. I'm like, whoa, okay, what'd you do? Oh, you made sure everyone got pay- paid. They agreed upon amount. Like that's basic. That's par for the course. What did you expect would happen? I don't. It's just. Mm. Yeah. Anyways, I licensed the standard jazz pieces on the album with publishers. The licensing ensured that the composers were paid and that my recording was legally cleared for radio play. I mean, look, I think there's good stuff here. I just think you're overselling yeah. it all. So now it comes across as annoying. Yeah, it's coming across as fake lawyer shit and that, that's yeah. not a good look i mean we, we were so impressed david with you being a professional jazz guitarist you don't need to then s- super heavy-handedly get into the minutiae of things that you think are more i can see why you're doing it because he's wanting to make it more lawyer adjacent but i just make yourself look like a badass and like you paying people for their work. Isn't a badass. Mm-hmm. None of this is like the part where you're actually a professional jazz musician is a badass. I oversaw the publicity campaign before, during and after the release of the album, I gave interviews to help promote the recording. Stop with the two. David needs to look for the word two and basically rewrite everything that uses the word two. Yeah. He keeps saying, I'm not I did as opposed this to, to do that or in order to yeah. do that. I think this sentence is so short and it, it, it like helps me on, like, I don't know. It's, I, I don't have a problem with it here, but I have a problem with it here because he's done it so right. much already. Yeah. yeah. Right. I emailed 382 and he weirdly spelled all that out. That, that yeah. can be a digit, dude. That should be 382. Physical copies of the album to radio stations around the world. My band and I performed a series of concerts in Toronto to, perf- uh, to promote the release of the album. The project went on to receive critical praise from Stuart Kremsky, semicolon, a Grammy award-winning music producer who worked on records for Louis Armstrong, Miles Davis, Sam Cooke, and others. Aside from the hey. totally incorrect use of the semicolon, yep. what do we think about name-dropping famous jazz musicians? A Grammy award-winning music producer who worked on these other things. I I would... I think... Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not like 100% opposed. I'd probably just put one person's name. Yeah. Maybe Armstrong. I, oh, no, I... Or Miles Davis? No, because Louis Armstrong, Miles Davis, and Sam Cooke have nothing to do with David. That it's too yeah. What? That's just naming famous jazz musicians. I mean, what? So you're you're gonna keep Stewart, but then maybe stop at a, a Grammy award winning. Yeah, music that's producer? fine. Yeah, but I, yep. instead of critical praise, why don't you say what he actually said? Like, what was the critical praise? Yeah, because critical praise is telling but you could have shown me what that praise actually was. Um, sure. Project received radio play globally, including CBC's Saturday Night Jazz and Toronto's Jazz FM 91. Great. In addition to being a performer, I approach music from an academic perspective. My master's thesis, Why You Aren't Better at Guitar a guide to thinking your way to a higher level of musicianship 
And by the way, Ben, do you notice that the W in that is not italicized? The very oh, beginning. Weird. First letter, yeah, not, not italicized. I was so distracted by the length of the title. I don't know why academics have this problem, but they seems like all their <laughs> titles are way too long. They're, 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 they need to take a lesson yeah. from like clickbait. <laughs> hey, David, don't capitalize masters there. You don't need to capitalize masters in master's thesis. So don't capitalize masters. Do, if you're going to italicize that whole title, you definitely need to italicize the W at the beginning. That's the type of shit that lawyer types catch, like, easily. I would also, so lower, going on that vein, lowercase the word at, why aren't you better at oh, guitar? Oh, yeah, in the title, that and, at shouldn't be, title, shouldn't be capitalized, yeah. Okay. And del delete the rest of the subtitle. You don't need a guide to thinking your way to a higher level of musicianship. Just cut that entirely and say, my master's thesis, why you aren't better at guitar. No one cares about the long title. Yeah. We just want to get Agreed. into what you have to say. Agreed. Anyway, that thesis is based on pedagogical methods I studied at McGill as well as my own experience. Okay. Little high level, little telling. Yep. The thesis challenged common conceptual errors related to learning the guitar. It offered remedies to these common pitfalls so that guitarists can realize their musical goals more efficiently. I compiled interviews of jazz musicians discussing their practice process and extracted the recurring themes into simple principles. I addressed the mental and physical process of learning the guitar and outlined a, cre a clear framework to to work on both. That's a little clunky because framework to work. Also, you just overuse the word to, so you probably should just rewrite that without that clause. I don't hate all this stuff, actually. He's telling me about, you know, certain law schools, especially like high, high level law schools are interested in training future academics. And the fact that David is not only a professional jazz musician, but wrote a master's thesis about learning better ways to learn guitar. That is fairly yeah. compelling. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Almost done. I, I, I would make it shorter. I mean, all this needs to be like trimmed, David, shorter, shorter, It shorter. is wordy. I went further than most instructional books in my discussion of the physical mechanisms of playing the guitar. I wrote an entire chapter on how to hold the guitar. I wrote another chapter covering every physical process involved with playing a single note. I remind the reader, um, now you shifted tenses, David. I remind the reader that there are no shortcuts to mastery and that talent is less important than work ethic. A lot of good ideas here. Um, the execution could be better. Uh, you need a little editing help. He went from wrote and wrote to remind. Reminded. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, last paragraph. It's short. The work ethic and attention to detail I developed in pursuing the guitar will serve me in law school and the legal profession. I intend to pursue entertainment law. And then just cut this last sentence. My education and experience will be an asset in this pursuit. Cut that. That's generic filler trash. That could be in anybody's personal statement. Take it out of yours. You could have just said, I mean, that's a much more powerful thing if you just end on, I intend to pursue entertainment law. That's fine. That's great. That's like 
I'm a, it makes sense too. I'm a badass professional jazz guitarist. I wrote a thesis about playing the guitar. I want to work in entertainment law. Money. Winner. That's a winner. Yeah. Just write it better. Uh, edit it better. Yep. It's a 167. And it could be a 175. Five. Or higher. Yeah. Which would be a potentially game changer. To the extent that personal statements matter at all. You might as well make it yeah. as good as you can make it. And yeah, right now you're in the high 160s, but with better editing, it could be in the 170s easily. Yep. Thank you, David. And thank you, Haley, for curating these for us. It feels a lot better to read a personal statement that's followed some of our advice. That's excellent. Yeah, cool. All right, BLSAT Famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about uh, the LSAT demon, Email help at lsatdemon.com. You can also check out our other podcast, with, which Nathan mentioned a couple times, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 324 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. There's a y'all there. Nice knowing ya. Don't pay for law school. <laughs>